Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, a city under siege. Police um, were reporting that they did not have enough resources. Why did Ottawa declare a state of emergency in response to convoy protesters? And what did the province say to the city's call for help? We'll get the latest from the Public Order Emergency Commission and get some analysis from a former Ottawa police chief. Also... I felt uh, trapped and helpless trapped and feeling targeted. We'll hear from local residents who appeared before the public inquiry and... Will this government admit they've let corporate greed go unchecked? Are grocery chains profiteering from the high cost of groceries? We'll speak to the NDP MP who wants the issue examined by Parliament. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. The public inquiry into Prime Minister Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act began its first full week of testimony today. Now, its purpose is not only to determine if the invocation was justified, but also to understand the circumstances that led the government to use the act for the first time in Canadian history. More than 20 interested parties have been granted standing in the Public Order Emergency Commission, and today began with the city manager for the city of Ottawa. For more, let's go to CPAC's Andrew Thompson. He's covering the story for us. So, Andrew, good to see you. Talk to us about the city manager. What did we hear from him, in particular, the declaration of emergency for the city of Ottawa? Right, Michael, that is Steve Kanlakis, and he was facing a lot of questions about that state of emergency. And what we learned uh, about that uh, state of emergency was the city declared this on February the 6th before the province did the same, before the federal government did the same, essentially to act as a trigger for those levels of government to do more, to provide more help to the city of Ottawa. So we heard many exchanges on that. Here's one example of Steve Kanlakis with the Commission Council discussing the timing of that emergency declaration. And so from the city's perspective, um, did it consider that the province wasn't doing enough to be engaged in the issues and to, and to help resolve it? Well, I wouldn't characterize it as that. I would characterize that the province, um, clearly through the Solicitor General, um, felt that uh, this is a law enforcement matter that could be dealt with through existing authorities that law enforcement have and uh, that the police should be working together to deal with the resources and what they need under their existing powers um, to resolve this. That's the, that was the initial um, um, feedback we received from them. And Michael, also of note with that testimony uh, from the city manager, Steve Kanalakis discussing why the city didn't just simply tow away these trucks and vehicles when they first arrived at the beginning of the shutdown. His reply was that uh, that kind of towing operation was simply a non-starter, uh, that just wasn't going to be possible given the security situation in downtown Ottawa, and that actually taking hesitant towing companies to court 
would have taken quite a long time in terms in terms of the, the legal process playing out. Mm -hmm. So learning uh, about the towing companies, how the city was viewing that, also very interestingly to your point about the declaration really asking for more help from both levels of government, in particular the province. So that was one part of today. The other part had to do with the Ottawa Mayor's Chief of Staff, who also appeared before the Commission. Talk to us about what stood out in that testimony. Right, this is Serge Arpin, and he was uh, asked a lot of questions about that contentious decision by Mayor Jim Watson uh, that he announced to allow vehicles and trucks to move from residential areas of downtown Ottawa to Wellington Street, right in front of uh, Parliament Hill. Uh, Arpin was taking through emails and text messages about that decision and about federal concern with that agreement, especially concern from the Parliamentary Protective Service about what that kind of agreement would mean for their security situation. So have a listen to how the mayor's chief of staff defended those negotiations with convoy leaders. Yes, he was looking for any solution that might help us alleviate uh, the pressure on our residents and what they were going through. And for us, it appeared that there was no downside for us to undertake this um, dialogue as there was no end in sight. There appeared to be no, um, you know, cogent, uh, you know, multi-jurisdictional plan to bring this thing to an end. And so if we were able to get one truck out of the residential district, it would be a, you know, a small victory. That wasn't our goal, of course, but the intent was to alleviate the pressure short term. Now, as I said, Andrew, this is the beginning of the first full week of testimony. We've now heard from the city manager as well as the chief of staff to the mayor. Some interesting points coming out of there. Talk to us about the days of ahead here. What else can we expect in this week? Well, tomorrow we're expecting to hear from the Ottawa mayor himself, Jim Watson. So certainly expect more questions about that high level political response from the city of Ottawa to the convoy and also his communication with both the provincial government and the federal government as events unfolded. And then subsequently this week, we are going to hear from police, from the Ottawa Police and the Ontario Provincial Police. Now, Ontario Premier Doug Ford was in Ottawa today, but that was for an announcement with the Prime Minister, not here at the inquiry. And Doug Ford said that he had not been invited to testify. Andrew, thank you for that. CPAC's Andrew Thompson. Charles Bordelow was Ottawa's Chief of Police from 2012 to 2019. He joins us right now to share his thoughts on the protests and the Commission's work so far. Chief Bordelow, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Good to see you. Listen, I wanted to begin with your thoughts on the testimony that we heard today. As you know, the City Manager Steve Kenelakos was speaking. Uh, the City, it seems, when declaring that state of emergency from what we heard today, it seems that really what Ottawa was looking for was more provincial action, which Ontario seemed hesitant to do. What's your reaction to that? Should Ontario have done more to the declaration of emergency? Well, I think to start off with is these types of commissions are set up to really uh, lift the veil, connect the dots, and get the full story. So we're getting the story in piecemeal, so we don't have access to all the information. But clearly, there's a message that's being sent by the city that when you have uh, governments at all three levels aligned, uh, things could go a lot smoother. And what this is about is, is about the city and the police service getting access to tools and resources to get the job done. So they were looking everywhere and anywhere in order to give them access to more tools to uh, do enforcement. 
So if you look at the province, they have access to uh, CVORs, which is the trucking regulations, MTO around closure of roads, uh, the highways. So I think those are the things that the city and the police service were looking to the province to see what, how can you help us resolve this situation in a peaceful manner without having to send a bunch of police officers in and have a riot on our hands. And what's interesting about that is that here we have this commission. It's looking uh, not so much into Ontario's actions in particular, but on the Emergencies Act uh, declaration, whether or not it was necessary. But given what we heard today from the city manager, do you think the act would have been invoked if Ontario had, for example, uh, been more aggressive with revoking insurance or commercial licenses, or as you say, closing down highways and roads under their control? Well, we, we won't know that because we don't know what kind of effect it would have had on the truckers had their insurance or their CVRs been uh, suspended. Uh, so we'll never know the outcome of that, but it was potentially, could have been, been used potentially as, as, a, as a threat or as a tool, as a carrot to say, if you don't leave, your CVR is going to be suspended and your insurance is going to be adversely impacted. Uh, so the province wasn't able to do that, uh, but what the federal act was able to do uh, it did a, a number of things. It turned off the financial top uh, tap immediately to seize any more finances going to uh, the convoy protesters. It gave police services in the city access to immediate resources. You heard uh, the city manager talk about their inability to get access to tow trucks and the police services inability to get tow trucks. So the act, the federal act gave them those, those uh, uh, tools. It also gave the authority for police to prevent anybody who wanted to come to this illegal demonstration or occupation to come to the city. That is something that the police service didn't have the legal authority to do prior to the Emergencies Act being invoked. And it also act potentially as a deterrent for others to come to Ottawa uh, to uh, gather steam, more steam around the, the long weekend. So those are the things that the act uh, gave police and municipalities uh, more tools to do to, to help stop this. Now, whether or not uh, it was right to be able to do that, to invoke the act, that's what the inquiry will be able to determine, hopefully. Mm -hmm. What they are looking into right now. But, you know, the, the province did seem to believe uh, at the time, and again, from what we've heard from the city manager, they seem to believe that Ottawa police have the resources needed to actually deal with what was happening on the ground. What do you make of that assessment and that kind of response even now? Well, the province's statement from what we are hearing so far is that this is the policing solution and that police services should have been able to resolve this uh, alone amongst themselves dealing with getting resources from other police services. What we heard from or what we heard from Chief Slowly that clearly resources were an issue and for some reason or another the resources were not coming. So I'm hoping to hear the story behind why those resources weren't coming. Uh, what were the dynamics between Chief Slowly and other police leaders? Uh, why was there a delay in getting access to resources come to Ottawa to support uh, the, the police service in Ottawa. So I think there's a story behind that that hopefully will be uh, will be told in order for the public to understand better what were those dynamics that were going on around getting access uh, in a, on a more timely manner uh, police officers to come to Ottawa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that is something that we'll be watching for. But you know, again, and you, you, you hinted it a, a bit in your second answer there, but this commission really is looking at the Emergencies Act, the invocation, whether or not it was necessary. Based on your experience as a former chief of police, do you think it was necessary at the time? 
I believe that it gave them some valuable tools in order to get the job done. Shutting off the tap uh, to uh, to the convoy protesters and financing the operations uh, was a key element that stopped that money from flowing. Giving police officers access to uh, tow trucks and getting uh, providers to be forced to come into Ottawa and bring their, their tow trucks, that was another element. And also giving that authority to police officers to stop vehicles. I think it had those uh, authorities not been granted to police, I believe that uh, the, the convoy would have gone on even longer and it would have been more difficult for police services to, to stop it. So it wasn't the only solution, but it was part of the solution that helped uh, bring matters to, to a conclusion. You hinted to the kind of answers that we're still looking for out of this inquiry. And I'm wondering, because we are expecting to hear from the mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, and the former police chief as well in the coming days. What do you want to know from them? What questions would you ask them? Well, I think the mayor will be more of, of you know, his discussions with the uh, the province and the federal government and the behind the scenes issues. I think we heard a lot of what was going on behind the scenes uh, from, from Mr. Kanellak as the city manager. So I don't know what else we'll hear from the, the mayor's office. I think what I'd like to hear from from Chief Scully and other police services is, you know, they, they thought that these protesters are only going to stay for the weekend. Obviously, they were wrong. Why were they wrong? What intelligence systems did they have in place to gather information? Uh, and were they the right systems? Uh, did his board play a role in interfering in operations of, of, of the chief uh, with respect to what they were doing and what they were saying? And were there dynamics with other police leaders that prevented resources from coming to Ottawa uh, sooner to, to help them? And uh, I think that, that those are the types of things that I'm looking forward to hearing from, from uh, Chief uh, Stoley and other police leaders uh, that will come to, to testify. Charles Bartolo, always good to speak with you. Thank you for that. My pleasure. So as we heard from Andrew, we will be keeping an eye on the inquiry this week as more local officials will be testifying. But last week, it was not local officials, but local residents who got the chance to tell the commission what it was like to live through the protest. Take a listen. There was a certain chaos on the streets and that feeling of chaos and rule breaking and law breaking gradually increased as things progressed. And it was such um, an experience of helplessness, especially during the event where the horn blowing was so loud and um, continuous, there was absolutely no place for me to go in my own uh, unit. There was just no escape to that. So I felt uh, trapped and helpless. Well, Paul Champ is the lawyer representing Centertown residents and businesses at the public inquiry. Mr. Champ, thank you for joining us again. Nice to speak with you, Michael. Now, from the outset, you said that your purpose was to get the stories out there, to ensure what people in Centertown endured was actually stated for the public record. Why is that important for you? Well, it's because there's uh, so much misinformation and, and misperception out there about how serious uh, the impact was on the people in downtown Ottawa uh, and businesses. You know, we heard even more evidence today about how 
you know, uh, paramedics were having difficulty getting downtown, home care services, bridges were closed. Um, you know, it was it was just a terrible uh, situation for the people in Ottawa, and they were they were trapped in their own homes. It's interesting you say that though, because I, I did speak to one lawyer for the protesters who said that uh, if someone chooses to live in downtown Ottawa near Parliament Hill, protest is something they need to expect. What do you say to that? Well, he's he's completely right on that. Um, you know, in terms of uh, where you live, if you are living, uh, you know, close to the Parliament buildings, uh, you do need to expect some uh, interference and inconvenience at times of your life. And uh, Ottawa, Ottawa has that all the time. You know, the the people who live in downtown Ottawa, I think, are are largely, you know, very proud that they live uh, in the nation's capital and and uh, host, uh, you know, different protests and demonstrations and and the exercise of fundamental freedoms. But there, there, there is a limit where, where those rights and freedoms become abused and it, it's not reasonable to have uh, 100 to 120 decibel uh, truck horns going 24 hours a day. It's not reasonable to have people shoot fireworks off your window. It's not reasonable to have you know, all uh, uh, buses and paratranspo and, and all other services shut down for weeks at a time. It's, it's, it's completely and totally unreasonable and uh, intolerable. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm surprised that the, the protesters, now that they've got a bit of hindsight, uh, aren't, aren't realizing the, the real harm uh, that they had on Ottawa. Mm -hmm. well, well, to build on that, we did just before we came to you uh, hear from two of your clients, uh, one of whom was Victoria de la Ronde, mm -hmm. and from her testimony, talk to us about what made the protest so hard for her. Well, as, as you know, as you uh, have heard, Ms. de la Ronde is visually impaired, so uh, she experienced, uh, you know, another level of, of helplessness and interference with her daily life. Uh, trying to step out the door was uh, very difficult in so many ways. Uh, you know, with the loud horns, she often you know, uses sound to direct herself. She couldn't do that uh, because the city couldn't do snow removal. The city, uh, the streets were slippery. Um, I mean, there's the other issues of, of harassment of people jumping in front of her while she was walking and, uh, you know, asking her about her mask and so forth. But um, it, th those were, uh, you know, the issues. And, and as well, the diesel fumes, pardon me. She was particularly vulnerable to the diesel fumes. Um, and where she was located, she was uh, at a particularly high concentration area of the trucks. And the diesel fumes were so significant in her home that uh, when the protest was over, uh, she had to get all her drapes and, and bedding all cleaned and carpets because they smelled of diesel. Like it was, it was, it was unbelievable what people in Ottawa had to endure. Mm -hmm. And beyond the carpets too, she also talked about having ongoing physical issues because of the protests. Talk to us about that. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Ms. Delaronde, you know, as I said, she's visually impaired, but now her, her hearing is also, uh, has experienced harm. Uh, she, uh, she has tinnitus, like a, a low ringing in her ears, and she's also uh, experience uh, hearing loss. Uh, she's got appointments with doctors to see if that's ever corrected, but she's concerned at her age that this hearing loss is going to be permanent. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, it's just terrible. It was a total assault on the people of Ottawa, and um, uh, and she's not alone. I can tell you, I've spoken with many, many other people in downtown Ottawa who've experienced uh, tinnitus and hearing loss, and I think 
you know, in the months uh, to come, we're going to hear a lot more about, uh, you know, how many people did experience the, 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 those physical harms. Mm-hmm. And physical harms, the, the lasting impact of the protest. But I also want to talk about Zexi Lee because, <clears throat> as people may remember her name, she is the, the Centertown residents who filed a, a court action against the protesters, in particular the, the constant blaring of the horns. And she was harassed as a result. Does that continue to this day, Mr. Champ? Well, the you know the intense harassment, uh, online harassment, and otherwise uh, subsided after the uh, protests or demonstrations was over. Um, but uh, you know it was difficult even for her testifying. There was a number of people yelling at her when she came out of the building uh, after her testifying here at the Library and Archives Canada, calling her a commie or asking her was she a Chinese government agent. It was just outrageous. And even down the block, it was uh, you know just good citizens of Ottawa who intervened and and uh, blocked and stopped some of the people who were harassing or walking down the street. It's, you know, I mean, it's, we just have a breakdown completely in, 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 in civility and, and basic respect for, for each other uh, in Canada. And I just, I'm kind of speechless, really. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the Commission will be issuing a final report, and ultimately it will be about the use of the Emergencies Act. But, but I'm wondering what you hope is actually included in that report as well, because it seems that uh, you are less occupied about the invocation of the Act. I, I don't know if that's fair to say, So, but if it's not about the invocation, what is it that you're looking for out of this final report? Well, I think, I mean, I think the evidence that we're hearing, as I see it, is that uh, if the invocation of the Emergency Act was necessary, it was you know, because of uh, three weeks of, uh, you know, confusion and, and lack of coordination between different levels of government. You know, we're hearing very clearly from uh, the city manager of Ottawa that uh, they absolutely needed additional resources, that the Ottawa Police Service, you know, once, once the initial tactical mistake was made of uh, all these commercial trucks being able to come to downtown Ottawa, they were simply unable to remove them and, and they needed additional resources. Well then, why did it take so long for, you know, the uh, province of Ontario and the federal government to provide those additional resources? So um, I think that, uh, you know, in the end in this uh, Commission of Inquiry, we're looking for some uh, recommendations uh, in future uh, that recognize that Ottawa is the site of protest. It is the site of demonstrations. We are going to see that in future, and 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 it's it's great that we are. I mean, this is again, you know, Ottawa is the is the place where people should come to be heard and to have their voices heard by Parliament and and to exercise their freedoms of association and freedom of expression and freedom of assembly. Um, but uh, we definitely need, I, I think, some recommendations. Uh, where there's different structures or things set up where the you know the city and the provincial government and, and ultimately the federal government can work together more closely in events like this in future. Paul Champ, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, Michael. And do stay with us as we bring you ongoing coverage of the Commission's work. Parliament will be looking into the high cost of groceries, and it's all thanks to an NDP motion that got unanimous consent in the House today. Take a look. I declare the motion carried. Alistair McGregor is the man responsible for that motion. He is the NDP Member of Parliament for the riding of Cowichan, Malahat, Langford in British Columbia. And as you can see, he joins us right now. Mr. McGregor, thanks for being here. Thank you, Michael. Good afternoon to you. So I guess uh, congratulations are in order. A unanimous consent of the House. Were you expecting that? 
I, I was not, and it, it was a huge surprise, a very welcome surprise. This is the first Opposition Day motion that's ever stood in my name. And uh, it was really nice to see that uh, all political parties in the House today recognized how important this issue is. I'm sure they've been getting a lot of phone calls and emails from their constituents. And I think it really helps fortify our message, uh, demonstrating to our constituents that we're taking this issue seriously and uh, that the corporate sector really needs to up its game and respond with effective measures. So what do you exactly want to happen here? Because you're talking about the, the, the cost of groceries right now, of course, much higher at this point than it was was a year ago to this date. So what exactly are you looking to happen here? Well, I mean, I think if you look at the tail end of the motion, it's really asking the House of Commons to support the motion that was passed at the Standing Committee on Agriculture and Agri-Food. Again, another motion in my name that was passed unanimously. And I think it's really just trying to identify the fact that, you know, uh, if you look at the cost of food in the sector, uh, the fact that so many Canadians are struggling week in, week out, in making those choices when they go shopping. And then when you compare that with the profits that we're seeing uh, among the grocery chains, but also like with other things, because um, last year we learned that Canada's biggest corporations got away with paying $30 billion less in tax than they should have. So I think there's a fairness issue at play here. And again, I think it's just a demonstration that um, politicians are listening to their constituents that we take this issue seriously. It's a non-binding motion, but it puts the spotlight and it puts political and public pressure on the government and the corporate sector to follow through. Okay, to follow through. But we, we did hear for uh, today, for example, from the chairman of Loblaw, and he talked about uh, the costs and acknowledged that Canadians are paying more right now for groceries. But he also said that this is very much a reflection of supply chains, that suppliers are having to pay for things like more expensive gas, the, the cost of production, and that's why things are more expensive now in the grocery store. As this gets underway, don't you already have the answers? Is, is this anything more really than political spectacle? No, I, I disagree with that. And now I will agree with him that uh, supply chain issues are there for all to see. We know that there have been an increase in fuel prices, the cost of labor has gone up, and even just the uh, unavailability of filling positions in various processing and producer oriented industries. But if you look at the profits that uh, the grocery chains, especially the biggest three have made during this time, and you compare that with the fact that many food items are rising above and beyond the general inflationary trend that we see in Canada, there's a mismatch here. And I think it does call for a parliamentary inquiry. That's why I think all colleagues, not only on the committee, but in the House of Commons agreed with what we're pushing forward. They see some truth in the matter. They see a need to investigate this to really uh, demonstrate that we are doing our due diligence and in investigating. So um, I think there's more than meets the eye here. And uh, I think it's time that we brought representatives of the big grocery chains before a committee to explain themselves on the public record. Okay. You know, I, I think, though, on the flip side of it, we certainly know the pain of when Canadian corporations fail and don't do well. Here we have cases where Canadian corporations are doing well. They're, in fact, making a profit. And as a result, they are employing people. Is it wrong to be successful? Doesn't this almost put a, a punishment on grocery store chains for being successful in a time when really uh, companies are struggling? Well, I measure success in uh, how their employees are treated and paid. And you may recall that, you know, during the pandemic, uh, the grocers 
groceries chains came out with uh, a hero's pay, right? They topped up their workers' wages to recognize the extreme hardship that they were going through. Now, in, a, in what I think is a callous move, they took that away from workers. And these are the men and women who are really the face of the organization. I think a company's value comes from its employees. So if you truly want to demonstrate a company's value, I think you really need to step up to the plate uh, and pay your employees what they're worth and make sure that their workplace conditions are adequate and safe. And uh, I think that, um, you know, there are questions in that respect as well. If you look at the wording of my motion at the Agriculture Committee, uh, we're not only going to be asking the CEOs to come before our committee, but we also want representatives of labor unions for the workers that are in those industries. Uh, we also want economists who specialize in the grocery and supply chains. And also we want to hear from producers and processors who have their own quarrel with grocery chains, which is why there has been so much conversation on a grocer's code of conduct, which is really targeting the unfair business practices that many of them have been practicing vis-a-vis -vis producers and processors. I have about 30 seconds here, Mr. McGregor. Uh, where does it go from here? What type of timeline are you looking at? Well, at the Agriculture Committee, I mean, I think it's a huge win to have the House uh, affirm its support for this unanimously. It definitely puts the pressure on the grocery sector to to step up to the plate. But going forward, uh, you know, in the weeks ahead, we will be starting our investigation into this as soon as we've cleaned up uh, our study into Bill C-234. And I'm very much looking forward to that investigation getting underway. Alistair McGregor, thank you for being here and congratulations on your motion getting unanimous consent. Very much appreciate it, Michael. Thanks for your interest. That is the program for tonight. On behalf of the whole team here at CPAC, thank you for watching. I'm Michael Serapio. We'll see you again tomorrow.